Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. I'm in the, the second part of this series, uh, the R series, and... and the first point I wanted to make is true, repent, true repentance opens the door of our hearts for healing. So when the Holy Spirit brings, begins to bring conviction to our lives, it's for us. He doesn't bring condemnation. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. But the Holy Spirit will bring conviction because we need it. Sometimes we have blind spots. And we need the Holy Spirit to bring some things to our attention. My first point is the same as last week's first point. Repentance is the catalyst of restoration. The Lord, and, and I talked more about this last week, so I'm not going to spend any, a lot of time here, but the Lord is not looking for an empty apology. He's looking for a changed heart. And again, that's not about performing. That's a changed heart where we yield to him and we repent. My second point is repentance neutralizes pride, ego, shame, guilt. What a great set that, that Chantel recommended for this morning. My shame, my guilt, my stains, they're all covered by the blood of Christ. And we can walk in liberty and freedom. David, many of us have studied and learned a lot about King David. He, the word says that he was a man after God's own heart. <laughs> and yet, he had the affair with Bathsheba, had her husband murdered, tried to hide it, that he had gotten Bathsheba pregnant. Called, you, know, you know the story? It calls Uriah back from battle. David should have been out there in battle with his men, but instead he's up on his rooftop checking out this babe, taking a bath. And he calls Uriah back and he, he tries to get him to sleep with Bathsheba so he can hide that he got her pregnant. He even tries to get him drunk. But Uriah's like, no, it's not right for me to be sleeping up there with my wife when my men are in battle. That's the kind of commitment Uriah had. And, and David even tries to get him drunk and when he realizes it's his, his plan has failed, he sends him back into battle and says, send him into battle and then withdraw. Let him be murdered, basically. But yet, the word says, God says of David that he's a man after my own heart. How can that be? I think one way it can be is that David understood God's mercy and grace. In Psalm 51, it's, it's, a, it's a psalm of repentance from David. 51.1 says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. David had a relationship with God, and yet he failed. But I think David understood something that maybe we forget, or we don't maybe understand in the same measure that David understood about God's grace and mercy. David had significant, multiple failures. He had family issues. And I think Pastor Christine talked about that on Father's Day. 
David, one of David's sons raped one of David's daughters. One of David's other sons killed the son that raped his daughter. And it appears that nothing was ever done about that. And then Absalom goes away and, and uh, David calls him back. One of David's leaders said, hey, you need to, you need to reconnect with your son. And Absalom comes back and, and he says, why, why won't my dad see me? I've been here for a long time. What's the point of bringing me back? And Absalom begins to usurp his dad's authority and tries to steal the kingdom from him. There were a lot of issues that David had in his life, in his family. And yet God calls him a man after my own heart. There's hope for us, too. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, not because of David's works or bad works, faithfulness, unfaithfulness, Godly character, demonstrations of failed character, mercy due to God's unfailing love. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. My third point is experiencing God's grace leads us to repentance. Verse 1 continues in Psalm 51, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. God is a God who demonstrates compassion. But not only does he demonstrate it, it's his character. It's his makeup that he is compassion. Verse 2, wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin. When we read this Psalm of David, we see a man who's broken, who's truly repentant, I, uh, I thought about this example, and I thought, there's no way I could ever be an illusionist. You'll never see me on America's Got Talent trying to do an illusion, okay? But the point is, I want to do a demonstration here because I want, I want to help you, help us understand something. So, many of us see our lives like this black towel. I don't know if you can see it, but even a black towel is stained. My wife's been trying to throw this thing away for I don't know how long, and I'm like, no, I, I think we ought to keep it. It's a good towel to clean the car with or whatever. But it's a great towel for this demonstration, too. You can see that it's ripped. It's got some holes in it. And uh, my, my lovely assistant here, would you please hold it? <laughs> but it's like we have, you can stand right there. We have the blood of Christ that covers our sin it doesn't well let me say it this way the results of that are then God begins to see us clean purified he says wash me clean from my guilt purify me from my sin thank you you did such a great job can we give her a hand you don't have to fold that up. That's okay. Just throw it in. That's good. So, my wife and I were having this conversation this morning, and she said, well, I think you should get rid of the black towel. And I thought about that, and I thought, well, sin, the results of sin can stay with us 
right? David, uh, the results of his, his affair with Bathsheba, the child died, and uh, there were other consequences. And so whenever we sin, there are consequences. But God isn't looking at us through that filter. He's looking at us through the filter of the blood of Christ. And, and he's changing us to be, he, he's purifying our hearts and our lives. So there still may be consequences from the sin, but we've been forgiven for those things. Do we understand that? Can we grasp that? When Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, Peter says, Oh no, you're, that's the, the, the task of the lowest servant of the, the house. That's dishonoring to you, Jesus, to wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you won't be a part of me. And, and Peter says, well, wash my hands and my, my head. Wash my whole body. And Jesus says, no, if your body's clean, you only need to wash your feet to be clean. Why? Because we walk through life. And we walk through stuff. If you're eating spaghetti and you get some spaghetti sauce on your shirt, do you pull out all of your wardrobe and go wash everything? No, you deal with that one stain or that one dirty spot. And so there are things in our lives where God is bringing to the surface to deal with. And David is saying, remove the stains of sin from my life. Not just the sin but even the evidence of it. Change my heart. Wash me clean from my guilt. Take away the shame and the guilt and all the stuff that I deal with because of the things I've done. Cleanse my mind. Purify me from my sin. He says in verse 3, For I recognize my rebellion. I recognize my rebellion. He's coming to a place of understanding not just saying, oh, well, I messed up. Okay, well, everybody get over it. God, get over it. I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Now, don't raise your hand, but I don't know if anybody has ever murdered anyone sitting here today. I don't want to know about that. But can you imagine what that would be like? And I'm not talking about when we're in battle, you know, uh, when we're protecting our, our country or, or whatever that looks like, but I'm talking about murder. And so David clearly murdered Uriah. I'm sure he considered his actions. Do you ever have those, those videos play in your mind about things? And you're like, oh, man, I remember that. Let's push the eject button. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about because you've never seen a video cassette player. Push the eject button, take that tape, and, and destroy it because you've been forgiven. And Paul says, I press on toward the mark or the goal or the prize. Press on toward goal, the goal of, of this relationship with Jesus. Psalm 51.4, against you and you have I sinned. Consider this, that David had this affair with Bathsheba, had her, murder, her husband murdered. But what does he recognize here? He says, I've sinned against you, God. Did he sin against them? Yeah. But he's seeing it from a broader picture. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. So David is not trying to whitewash or validate or justify what he's done. 
He's seeing it for what it is. He has some significant understanding here. And so when we fail, when we make mistakes, are we coming to God and are we being authentic and honest? That's why we talk about this relationship with God every week. (laughs) It's about this relationship with Him because we need Him in our lives, not just on Sunday from 10 to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm not going to go that long. 10 to to 11.15. We need Him in our life all the time, every day. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. He goes on to say, you will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. He's saying, I'll take the punishment, God, because I know you're just and fair and right. Even when we blow it. I trust you. For I was born a sinner. Psalm 51.5. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment of my mother, from the moment my mother conceived me. Okay, here's a scripture. Clearly, life begins at conception. And so if you're talking with people that don't use the Bible as a reference, they probably don't understand that. But we understand that. We know that life begins at conception. Um, we know, too, that when Adam and Eve sinned, they, when, they ate the tree from, uh, when they ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sin entered into all of humanity. And uh, sin has a spiritual and a physical effect on our lives. And you just look at the next chapter after they ate, they're hiding from God. When God would come down and commune with them daily, and the next thing you see is they're hiding from God. And God's like, why are you hiding? So we were all born in sin. Because of Adam and Eve, sin entered into all of our humanity. Now, I've used this example. I think it's a great example. Uh, It's not our fault, but it is our problem. Consider that a woman is uh, doing crack, taking crack, and she gets pregnant, and she continues to do crack. The baby's born. The baby's born a crack baby. Is it the baby's fault? No. Is it a problem for the baby? Yeah, it is a problem. And so sin is like that for us. Now, we do make choices. But let's, let's look at the scripture in uh, the New King James Version, uh, Psalm 51.5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. So we were brought forth in iniquity. Let's look at the definition of iniquity. Iniquity is human deviation from the expressed will and desire of God. Iniquity is a deviation from God's will and purpose and plan for our lives. Let me say this. We can have a sinful propensity towards something. We can have a bent towards something. We can have an inclination towards something. We used to live in Corpus, and there were times when we would drive uh, past Rockport. And I noticed that some of the trees were like bent over. It looked like somebody took a, a comb, a big comb, and combed all the tree limbs where they all went one direction. And I think it's because of the prevailing wind coming off the coast that's always blowing that direction. And so the trees just have a natural propensity or bent to grow that way. And you know what's interesting too? I was thinking about this. 
There's one tree out at our property that's like that. It's the only tree that's like that. And I was thinking about this message, and I was thinking about that tree. If you look at the tree, it's like all the limbs are growing one direction, kind of like you see in, in the Rockport area. And I was, I was praying about that this morning, and I said, Lord, I wonder why that is. Why is this one tree on 13 acres like that? And maybe it's a reminder to us of our propensity towards sin and God's great mercy and grace. Let me say this another way. Iniquity is like a spiritual bruise. Consider a physical bruise. You may not even know that you have a bruise. Has that ever happened to you? You're like, how did I get this bruise? I don't even know what I hit to cause this. But clearly there is evidence that there's damage, right? Because the bruise is reflective of that. Uh, I looked this up. A bruise, skin discoloration where damage to the skin tissue has broken blood vessels underneath the skin, causing them to leak. So you've hit something or something that's happened that's caused damage to the blood vessels under the, the skin tissue, and it's leaking. So a bruise is an external manifestation of an inward, of inward broken vessels, blood vessels, right? Iniquity is an internal manifestation of a damaged or broken relationship with God. Let me read that again. And, and iniquity is an internal manifestation of a damaged or broken relationship with God. It is often demonstrated through our physical actions and lifestyles. And the, the, all these slides are on the, the YouVersion Bible app uh, for Life Fellowship, so you can go there and, and read these later. Remember, the, the definition for iniquity is human deviation from the expressed will and desire of God. So we can think of iniquity as a spiritual bruise. You may not even realize that you have iniquity in your life. You, you may not realize that you have a spiritual bruise in your life. Just like maybe you don't, don't realize that physically. You may say, well, my, my grandfather was an addict. My dad was an addict. I'm stop. No. Jesus came to set you free. Jesus came to break those chains. Jesus can break the curse. A couple of years ago, uh, a number of men in, from Life Fellowship, we went through a course called Conquer, the Conquer series. And uh, the Conquer series was dealing a lot with pornography. And if you don't know it, there's an epidemic in this country, in the world. It's called pornography, addiction to pornography. And I've shared this statistic with you that uh, you don't hear a lot of it talked about in the church, even though it's an epidemic, because the statistics say that 50% of evangelical pastors look at pornography on a regular basis. Listen, there's an epidemic here. We, we, we can't just bury our head in the sand. And so this series, the Conquer series, it deals, it talks about specifically pornography and addictive behaviors to pornography, but also it's applicable to other addictive behaviors. And so someone will say, well, just stop. Just don't look at it on the computer. Just don't go buy the magazine. Just, 
Well, there's more to it than that. There are elements associated with these things psychologically and physiologically where endorphins are released that provide a natural high. And I know that can happen with with drugs and alcohol and things like that where your body can physically be addicted, but it's also a mental thing too. And so pornography is, is like that. And imagine that you're walking through a field of grass. You've got to walk through this field and get to the other side. And this grass is like this high. So the first time you start going through the grass and you're stepping on where it comes out of the the ground to kind of smash it down, you're pushing all these weeds apart and you finally make it to the other side. And then you've got to come back. And you're like, okay, well, let me try to go back through that same path. Now all the weeds and all the grass... You're going against it, right? Because you push it all this way, coming this way, and now you're going back against it. So you're trying to push it back and get through there. And then in a couple of days, you've got to come back through there. And you're like, okay, well, I already kind of made a path, so let me go through there. It's a little bit easier than the first time, but you still have to fight your way through that. And you have to come back, and then you go again. And after several times, you've kind of beaten down a path after 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 or 80 times, you've got a pathway there. And that's what, ha- that's what happens in our brain as we begin to deviate from God's purpose and plan. And, and that's why I love Romans 12 too. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So it's a battle in our mind. What are we thinking about? Paul says in Philippians 4, think on the things that are lovely, just, pure, holy, Think on those things. So when we begin to think about these other things, say, no, no, let me, let me think about a scripture. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I don't have to think about this. Lord, cleanse my heart. Cleanse my mind. Okay. Uh, maybe I am an illusionist here. I don't know. I want you to close your eyes. All right. <clears throat> I want you to think of a banana split. Okay, you think about that, that dish or that bowl at a Dairy Queen. It's kind of a plasticky dish, right? And you've got three scoops of ice cream. Okay, you, it's, it's divided. Uh, you've got a, a banana that's cut in half divided by this ice cream. You have your toppings on there. You've got chocolate, strawberry, pineapple. Okay, can you see it in your mind's eye? All right. Then you've got some whipped, uh, topping, whipped cream on top of it. Put a little bit more on there. Okay, yeah, that's good. You've got a, a cherry on top. Let's throw a couple more of those cherries on there. And you start thinking, you're thinking about this right now. And some of you are saying, this afternoon after my nap, I'm going to go get a banana split. Okay, you can open your eyes. You get my point? You see how we can begin to to fixate on something. And as we begin to fixate on some of these things, sometimes there's natural endorphins that are released. We begin to salivate thinking about that banana split, providing a natural high. And so let me ask you to consider something. Have you created pathways for sin in your mind? Jesus came to break curses, to set us free. And Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. He fasted 
for 40, 40 days. You know what that means. He ate nothing for 40 days. And then it says, the Bible says that he returned to Galilee, which is a region. You hear about Samaria, uh, Galilee, these different areas. Those are like, uh, like you would say, hey, I'm, I'm going to Texas. I finally saw the light. I'm going to Texas. <laughs> I'm going to get me a horse and uh, some cowboy boots. Okay, so uh, Galilee is a region, and it says that he regularly taught in the synagogue. And then it says that he returned to his hometown, which was in Galilee, this region. And let's pick up the, the, the scripture here in Luke 4, 16 through 21. You guys okay? All right. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his hometown, he, wa he went, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Okay, stop here for a moment. He went, as usual. He went on a regular basis. This is Jesus we're talking about. If Jesus went to the synagogue on a regular basis, do you think there's an, a, an importance of us gathering together on a regular basis? I think there is. So Jesus is setting examples for us that we can look at and we can follow. Okay. So he was going to church. All right. Uh, let's continue. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. So many times they would have different people read the scriptures. Verse 17. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. Okay, stop here for a moment. The Bible, of course, they didn't have the New Testament then, right? They had the Old Testament. The Bible was not in books like we have or on iPads. It was written on scrolls. So Jesus is at the synagogue, and he's going to be teaching, or he's going to be sharing. They hand him the scroll of Isaiah. Now, they could have handed in, you know, a lot of different scrolls, right? Um, and this is, let me bunny trail here for a moment. This is not clearly defined, uh, but it's debatable. But some scholars believe that there was a systematic and determined cycle of reading the Scripture. In other words, they would maybe open the scroll of Isaiah and say, okay, we're going to read to here. Okay, now next week, come back, and we're going to pick up where we left off. And so some scholars believe that that could have been the case. And uh, regardless of whether that was the case or Jesus just took the, the scroll of Isaiah and found the place where he wanted to read, it was God-ordained because of what he said. Um, so let's read on here in Luke 4.18. This, and this is what he's reading now from uh, Isaiah 61. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. What's interesting is Jesus is reading prophetically about himself. God's Spirit was, uh, was upon him. Okay, we know that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one. He, he, says, he, he says, I'm anointed to bring the good news to the poor. So what do you think about when you think about poor people? You think about the basket people. You think about people that, that are disheveled and they have dirty clothes. They don't have any shoes. Well, yeah, he's, he, he's probably talking about that. But he's really talking about 
He's talking to those that are spiritually bankrupt to bring good news to the poor. He goes on to say, and uh, verse 18 continues, He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. Jesus was sent to set captives free. Everyone is trapped in sin. I guess Al and I are on the same page here when he talked about that this morning, about being trapped in sin, being imprisoned. Because I was thinking of that same example. You've done something wrong. You're in prison. And the person over the jail comes, unlocks the door. They say, you're free to go. The door's open. You're free. But yet, some people want to stay there. No, man. No, man. I, I know I messed up. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty. I, I have to stay here and, because of the sin. I have to do my penance. I have to do something to earn my way out. No, no, no. Somebody already paid it all. Get out of that jail, man. <laughs> Get out of that hell that you're living in. You don't have to stay there. Jesus came to set the captives free from sin, all of us. <sighs> he goes on to say in verse 18 that the blind will see. We know that he healed blind people that were physically blind. But he came to open spiritual eyes too. That we would receive revelation. That we would receive understanding. That we would have the heart of God. That we wouldn't live in the stuff that we used to live in, but we would be free that we could see that the oppressed will be set free. Those who are physically oppressed set free. Those who are spiritually oppressed would be set free. God didn't create us to live like that, to live in that, that kind of way. He came to set us free. And then he says, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come, that the Lord's favor was released. We have great favor with the Lord. Because we're no longer like, like this. God sees us like this. If we continue to live thinking that God sees us like this and we never get over the guilt and the shame, we never repent, do you think we can ever realize it? God sees us like this. It's not because of our good behavior. It's because of the blood of Christ that washes away all of our sins. That we can be redeemed and that we can live like redeemed people. That we're not walking in guilt and shame and all of the junk that the enemy would try to throw on us. He may have a validation to bring those things to your mind. But God says, I've neutralized all that. I've defeated all that. You can be free because I paid the ransom. <laughs> do you think what I did was valuable? I mean, do you really think I could do this? Do you think that I satisfied what was required? If we do, then maybe we're not, maybe we wouldn't be living in the guilt and shame that some of us get trapped in. Maybe we would be free. Understanding what God has really done. Then Jesus, verse 20, rolled up the scroll. He handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. They were probably going, what? 
What? What is going on here? And then he begins to speak. Verse 21. The scripture you just heard has been fulfilled this very day. I am he. I am the one that's come. I'm the Messiah. Drop the mic. And right after this, he tells them a couple of stories. You know what their response was? Oh, praise God. Their response is, let's kill him. And Jesus came to heal and set people free. We've been in enough bondage already. Started with Adam and Eve. And, and, you know, here's the thing. If Adam and Eve wouldn't have done it, one of us probably would have done it. You know, it would have started somewhere. These five, really six different things demonstrate God's love and favor toward us. Back to David, Psalm 51. 51 in the New King James. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. Uh, in the NLT, it says, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. So again, we know that life begins at conception. We have a good friend, uh, family, and uh, Connie, when she was pregnant, she would pray every month the nine fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control over her baby every month. Now, I don't know if she prayed for love one month and, and then added joy did she add she okay so she added each month she added something else those boys are powerful men of God let's read verse 6 but you desire honesty from the womb teaching me wisdom even there are we speaking over our children even when we're pregnant our grandchildren Man, there, there, listen, there is power. God has given us power and dominion and authority. But the enemy doesn't want us to know that. So we can pray that there's even wisdom in the womb. He goes on to say in verse 7, Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Do you believe the word of God? Do you believe that, that God could do this for David? Well, more importantly, do you believe God can do this for you? This is the word of God. Do I need to pull those towels out again? Do I need to pull these out? We need to look at this again? <laughs> no. This. Think about it. God sees you like this. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. I've repented. There's nothing I can do to go back and change anything. Let me just rejoice. Let me just come into your presence and praise you and spend time with you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy in my life. Don't keep looking at my sin. Remove the stain of my guilt. You ever go there? Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. And God says, your sins are as far as the east is from the west. I'm not looking at them. Are you? 
He says in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Get my heart right, Lord. Let me be loyal to you. David's focus was on being right with the Lord. Steadfast, committed, loyal. But what is our focus sometimes when we get busted? Oh, Lord, I, I don't want to be embarrassed. I hope nobody finds out. Instead of, Lord, the most important thing is my heart, my, my relationship with you. Would you make me right? Lord, would you give me a clean heart? Would you restore my mind? Would you help me to walk by faith and not by sight? To walk by the power of the Spirit and not in the flesh? And finally in 11, he says, Banish me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take away your Holy Spirit from me. Repentance is a catalyst of restoration. Repentance neutralizes pride, ego, shame, guilt, all that stuff. Experiencing God's goodness leads us to repentance. Like I said last week, we think of sometimes we think of repentance as a negative word. Ooh, oh, I don't know. But it's really God's grace and mercy. His mercy draws us to repentance. Because he cares about our life. He doesn't want to see us walking around an empty, hurting, broken shell of a person that looks good when they walk into church, but they walk out broken, hurting, full of guilt and shame. Repentance is a good thing. Because it draws us back into relationship with Him.